Hey folks, Scott Weingart here, and this is the MCRIT Podcast. Today on the podcast, I'm going to discuss a paper that I published with some of my brilliant co-authors in the American Journal of Emergency Medicine. And the title of the paper is A Taxonomy of Key Performance Errors for Emergency Intubation. So this is going to be the podcast accompaniment to that paper. And uh, instead of the stats and all that, which you can get in the paper, we'll be talking really about the clinical utility of what we found. Folks, before we jump in, just a quick mention from one of my buddies, Fred Lemire. He was the creator of Easy Drips, and now he has come out with its sequel, Easy Resus, which in addition to all uh, medication dosing and all of that kind of stuff, now is going to include procedures and um, aid memoirs and the ways to prevent errors in emergency medicine and resuscitation. And he's giving MCRIT listeners uh, two months to actually check the app out for free um, because he wants feedback and he wants you to see what he is done. He is not paying me. He is not giving me anything. He is not doing anything for me to promote it. I just think he's a great guy and I've loved Easy Drips. So check out Easy Resus and you could find that uh, and the MCRIT discount, well not discount, the MCRIT two months free at Easy Resus. So that's the letter E, the letter Z, the word resus.com slash MCRIT, easyresus.com slash MCRIT. Go check it out and um, tell Fred what you think. Okay, let's get to the show. But of course, you know, you're not going to get right to the show because what you're listening to is a free episode. This one's the full episode. I'm not going to cut you off on this one, but you do have to listen to my plea, my real desire for your patients to be as safe as possible when they experience critical illness in your hospital. And the way to do that is for you to have the most cutting edge information on resuscitation and acute critical care. Now you're getting this full episode for free, but there's a bunch of MCRIT episodes that are curtailed after seven or eight minutes, meaning you're only getting a tiny portion of the goodness that will save your patients' lives, that will keep you up to date on the most cutting edge literature in resuscitation and acute critical care. So if you don't want to hear these messages again, but more importantly, if you want to protect your patients, feel good about your resuscitative skills, then you should join MCRIT. All you have to do is go to mcrit.org slash join. You'll pay a minimal fee compared to the other CME out there. And then your hospital could reimburse you or you could write it off on your taxes. So give yourself a little critical care gift. Go to mcrit.org slash join and become a member. All right, let's get to the show. Now, before we dive in, I just have to thank all of my co-authors, especially Ryan Barnacle and Alex Bracey. Uh, Ryan slogged through a video review of every single intubation for the study. I had done it iteratively over the course of actually uh, the intubations being performed, um, and he uh, had to go back and review 100 videos. And then Alex was our tiebreaker for anything that Ryan and I disagreed with. So thank you to everyone who helped make this possible. So what led to the conceptualization of this paper. Now, if you had listened to MCRIT 300 on the our Airway QA program, then you know that I had made it a point to use video on every intubation, whether people wanted to use it as a direct device or a video device. Video had to be used because this allowed us to film the intubations. And now, once the intubations were filmed, I and uh, my fellows would review them along with the Airway QA committee. Um, Every intubation, we would review the video. And um, the ones that were good, we put forward into the good pile. The ones that weren't, uh, we would often give feedback. And now the feedback was very unstructured. And then what we would do with these videos is I'd actually do airway rounds uh, at one month 
uh, once a month at conference, I would do a 20-minute block of Airway Corner where I'd show these videos to everyone. They would be de-identified both from the perspective of the patient and the intubator. So there was no shame in showing the good and the bad. And in, in both of those circumstances, uh, feedback to individuals and feedback to the group, I realized it would be nice to actually have a classification system for the errors. And uh, I had noted that they you know, kept falling into a set of discrete boxes. So, you know, over the course of, you know, maybe, I don't know, a thousand intubations, um, a video review, I started jotting down, okay, here's an error I saw. And then I just would keep iteratively adding to it. And then I, I reached out to our airway committee and said, Hey, do you guys have any that you've seen that aren't on this list? And we created a list of a taxonomy of, uh, intubation errors. And then what we did is we then took another hundred intubations, and we actually uh, scored them all for the errors. And each intubation could have had more than one, and oftentimes they did. Uh, let me tell you some key factors in the study, and then we'll roll right into the performance errors. So uh, all videos in this study were done with a CMAC, uh, the store's video device, with disposable blades with either a Mac 3 or Mac 4. So no hyperangulated in this study. Um, our group does an insane level of pre-ox. So we, we had a lot more time uh, than many would if they're not doing a great job at pre-oxygenation. Um, for the study, we didn't know if the intubators were looking at the screen, the mouth, or a combination. So they might have been using a video device as direct. They might have been switching off. They might have been using pure video. We can't tell because the videos were de-identified in order to be entered into the study. Most of the intubations were performed with a bougie device. And it, some of them were actually with a manipulable tip bougie. So, you know, the places that aren't using bougie, they might see a different incidence of errors. Um, using a Mac as a miller was not deemed an error and, in fact, is encouraged in our program. If you have any problem controlling the epiglottis, then you should just use the Mac as a miller, and that obviates the need for millers for the most part. Um, so that wasn't scored as an error in our program. Now, if on the other hand, they went too close, uh, that actually is an error. So if you messed it up and you went right into the glottis with your uh, blade, then yes, that would be scored an error. Uh, almost all of the intubations were done with residents. I believe there's one mid-level and one attending. Um, we have an extensive QI program. You can see MCRIT episode 300 for that. And as a result, you know, the error incidence may be different in places where um, they don't as aggressively pursue quality on airway management. Uh, now, to get into the study, uh, the initial perusal, often done by myself and my fellows, um, saw an intubation that had some qualitative error, something that we had seen on the list of, that's not right. But we didn't classify it at that point. We just put it into a hopper, and then we had independent video review of those videos. Um, and we weren't looking for perfect. You didn't get scored just because you were a little bit slow or what have you. It had to be a discrete error on the list that we're going to talk about shortly. Um, our program at that point had a 95% first pass success rate on average. And so even though, you know, we found a hundred videos that contained errors, they were a small subset of the total intubation pool. And we can't tell you what the incidence of these are overall. We could just tell you of the hundred videos, here's the incidence of these errors. And that's what you'll find in the paper. Um, and even though there was at least one error in each of the videos we reviewed, um, there was still an 82% successful intubation. And each video was just one attempt. So if there took multiple attempts, each of those would have been a separate video. So in each of these error-containing videos, 
there was uh, still an 82% first pass success rate, which means these errors don't necessarily lead to intubation failure. They just demonstrate a lack of ideal technique. All right, let's go into the individual performance errors. All right, now we broke these errors into three categories. We had errors of structure recognition during laryngoscope insertion. We had errors of molecular manipulation. And then we had errors of device delivery. So we'll go through the individual errors of each of those three categories. Barnacle made a really nice diagram that actually broke these errors up into the phase of intubation, you know, mouth opening, blade insertion, epiglottoscopy, follicular engagement, et cetera. So you could go to the show notes at mcrit.org slash 360, see that, see the paper, all the good stuff. All right, let's go into the individual errors, and then I will talk to you about the clinical stuff that comes along with them. So first, error of structure recognition. Insertion off midline leading to esophageal visualization. So what does this actually mean? It means that people overran all the glottic structures off to either side of the glottis and wound up staring at the esophagus for a while to uh, get this error. And now why does this take place? Now, I forever have advocated a midline approach Certainly to every video laryngoscopy. I personally feel direct laryngoscopy as well should be a perfect midline approach. And this was a radical change. I was trained by anesthesiologists who'd always taught me to enter on the right side of the mouth and sweep the tongue to get to the middle uh, until Rich Levitan actually demonstrated with his airway cam that that's not as good, that you'll miss structures and that it's not necessary. And this is what I found, you know, for the, you know, I, I learned from the anesthesiologist at the beginning of my residency, and then I took Rich's course while I was a resident. And as a result, I, from that point on, always went midline, never had a problem with tongue control, even with direct. And the reason why is the way you run into tongue problems is you start pushing the tongue immediately upon laryngoscopic insertion. What you should be doing instead is opening the mouth wide and inserting your laryngoscope at least, you know, an inch, inch and a half before you ever touch down on the tongue. And as a result, you have now at the point of advancing past the point where you're going to push the tongue into your field of view. You've, you've actually gone past that. And now when you lift, the tongue should really have no relevance to your field of vision. And I just don't have a problem going midline. And with video, definitively, there's no reason to sweep the tongue. And in fact, the incidence of these errors of um, lack of visualization is because people are not going down midline. So um, look, if you don't want to go midline and you don't wind up at the esophagus, you don't overrun the structures, you know, more power to you, you wouldn't have been coded with this error. But I still think it is not the ideal way. All right, next one is an overly deep insertion leading to esophageal visualization. So how's this different than the first one? This means they were on the midline, but they went so fast that they completely missed all the glottic structures. They overran the glottis and wound up, again, visualizing the esophagus. And again, not a good move. Now, in both of these cases, oftentimes the learners would correct, or more likely the attending next to them would say, hey, you messed it up, come back up to the, you know, tongue, you know, pull your blade out until you're right at the middle of the tongue and then slowly advance. And then they'd found it, which is why you could still have success despite seeing these errors. All right, next one up, missed anatomical structure recognition. This was, uh, I, as the reviewer or whoever was looking at the video said, like, I clearly see glottis, but it was quite obvious from what the um, intubator was doing that they did not. Um, they were off to the side, but not the key to this one be, in contradistinction to the first two is we did not see the esophagus on the video. So they, they were in the right neighborhood. They just did not have enough anatomical knowledge to recognize and then optimize the position of their laryngoscope tip, but they had not overrun to the point of the esophagus. 
And then the most common for this category was inadequate suction. And this is when they attempted to insert the tube, even though the glottic uh, inlet was being obstructed by uh, secretions or other crap in the airway. And what this really comes down to is not utilizing Jim Ducanto's beautiful teaching of bimanual laryngoscopy, that you should have a suction catheter already in your hand. And if there's any chance that there's going to be something that needs suction, you lead with the suction and actually use it to like, you know, blaze a path such that you won't spooge out your camera. But I don't do that in intubations where I don't see any secretions. I'll, I'll slowly inch in with the laryngoscope and I, I have, you know, the ability to see those secretions before they hit my camera and I can suction them. But I always have the suction in my hand and this is really key. And you could do your mouth opening with that um, suction cannula in your hand. And as a result, um, you, you have it there and you will not try to intubate because you don't, what happens is the intubators, they get in there, they pick up the tube and then they don't want to put the tube down or they don't want to put the bougie down to pick up the suction because, you know, they just want to get it in. And as a result, they try in the face of, um, an obscured glottis and not good visualization. Don't do that. So, uh, lead with suction or have suction in your hand, um, have perfect, uh, suctioning before you then need to, uh, pick up your bougie or your, uh, endotracheal tube. All right, next category, errors of molecular manipulation. This is so key. I mean, this is like really the micro skills of intubation that we were never taught because I didn't have any uh, real teaching curriculum, I, you know, until I got to a course like Rich's or George Kovach's. And it's because for anesthesia, you know, and, and living with an anesthesiologist, I can tell you this is the case. They do so many that for whatever reason, they don't feel they need, or for whatever reason, their attendings often don't give them a teaching curriculum because they will eventually learn. If you do you know, thousands of something, you learn it. If you want to learn it with hundreds of something, then you better make sure you're teaching it better. Is Look, and I'm sure there are anesthesiologists out there um, who are doing you know, beautiful teaching, even though they have so many um, that know that our learners are eventually going to get it just through you know, subconscious um, adoption of what works and what doesn't. But uh, I think you could really maximize uh, your learning curve if you teach these micro skills of intubation. So first one on the list, inadequate lifting force. So what does this mean? It means the tip of the laryngoscope was properly seated in the molecular. Um, and we knew this because you actually saw the epiglottis move, but the intubator did not apply adequate lifting force and therefore the percentage of glottic opening was small and that might've led them to not be able to intubate. Uh, or even it just led them to an inadequate view uh, for easy tube passage. And this all comes down to not lifting hard enough. And video has even made this worse. You know, this was always a problem with direct, but video really has led to bad habits. Um, if you don't have a great view of the glottis, then you continue to lift until either you have a perfect view or a good enough view. I mean, it doesn't need to be perfect. Uh, or the head lifts off the bed and you know you've achieved adequate lifting force when you actually are lifting the head off the bed. And you, you save yourself up for that final move by being incredibly ginger and gentle for your actual advancement. You don't want to burn and fatigue those muscles. So you, you, you know, Rich, and I think George as well, actually teach, you know, just holding the laryngoscope with three fingers, you know, your thumb and your index and middle finger uh, for everything up until this point of, you know, so your actual uh, insertion down into the molecule is incredibly gentle. And then you save up all your muscle strength so that you do have the ability to adequately lift and get a good glottic opening. And um, this is one of the main failure modes. In fact, this is the most common error from this category uh, for our predominantly resonant intubators is they are not lifting enough. They are 
achieve the proper placement of the laryngoscope and they are just not applying enough lifting force. All right, next error. Failure to engage midline of the lecula. Now, what does this mean? Um, this is they're not hitting the glossoepiglottic fold right in the middle of the molecule, and therefore they are not getting adequate um, translation of the epiglottis. Now, Brian Driver wrote about this and showed a lower incidence of successful intubations when they don't hit this. There was a PEDS paper as well. We have those both quoted in the study. Um, but this is incredibly common. They're just a little bit off midline. You don't have to be dramatically off, but if you're not hitting that, and you know it because you, you will see instead of the epiglottis popping up and touching the laryngoscope, it just kind of sways in the breeze or you know moves a little bit, but not really gets out of the way. And that's the problem is they're not midline in the molecule. Uh, third error, lost seating in the blecula. So they they hit it, you know, they were in there, and then um, due to hand perturbations, or more likely, it's very difficult to maintain molecular engagement with the old-style stores, disposable CMAC 4s. The 3s were fine. For whatever reason, the 4s would always fall out of the molecular. And as a result, oftentimes we'd have to use Mac and Miller because the, just the angulation of that um, and it's just, I shouldn't even say old. It's the previous generation. I don't even think the next generation is out. I've played with the new ones as prototypes, but I don't think they're actually being sold yet. So it's probably the current generation of Mac 4. It's very difficult to maintain molecular engagement. So this error happens when you were in it in the right place and then you fell out and the epiglottis now has re-obscured the glottis. All right, not fully seated. And now uh, George Kovach describes this as a game of millimeters, that if you are you know, starting to lift before you have actually fully engaged in the molecula, um, you will not actually cause adequate epiglottic translation. And you, you'll know this occurs because um, you will not see the epiglottis pop. And that's really what you want. You want to see the epiglottis pop up against your laryngoscope. All right. Then the next one is the opposite. They're using too much force or there's overinsertion of the molecule. And this causes downward movement of the epiglottis. And this is actually a grade four view. And you could have a failed intubation simply due to iatrogenic too much force in the molecula. And um, the solution is either let up on the force or if it just keeps happening, um, then use Mac as Miller again, and it will completely obviate this problem. All right, next category, errors of device delivery. So most of the intubations of this study were done with a bougie. Now, we included two errors in this category. You can make an argument they should have been split up. I think it's fine. Um, you could either have a bougie hung up on the anterior tracheal rings, you know, just locked in there, and then they are not rotating, uh, or they're not using the um, pen maneuver that we described on MCRIT uh, to get out of there, and therefore they had to come out because they couldn't get the bougie to advance, or they were at unable to actually get the bougie through the vocal cords. And that, you know, is usually due to an, an adequate bending or curving of the bougie to be able to get up to the uh, glottic opening. So that was bougie delivery issues. Obviously, those wouldn't apply if you didn't use a bougie. Then there was the over-rotated insertion. What does this mean? Uh, this is the so-called Kovach sign. And what this is, is often seen in hyperangulated, where you're just too close and the glottis fills the entire screen. And then even though you have a beautiful view of the glottis, you can't actually get a tube or a bougie to go in. Now, this has previously only been mentioned with hyperangulated. And in fact, when I started um, doing these video reviews and I told George, hey, George, I'm actually seeing the Kovach sign on Macintosh intubations, especially with, in fact, exclusively now that I think about it, with the store's Mac 4 disposables. He's like, that doesn't happen. It's not the way that works, Scott. And then I sent him a few and I proved it. And you can see one on the site. Um, so you absolutely can do this with uh, at least this version of a disposable Mac 4 video blade. You can have an over-rotated insertion and it prevents the ability to place a tube or a bougie. 
Uh, next up is tube delivery issues. This is when, the, again, the endotracheal tube uh, hung up on the retinoid cartilage or uh, anterior wall and couldn't be uh, advanced, and they actually came out. So that's the tube delivery. And then the last one, again, this is a bougie-only error, is premature withdrawal of camera. And this is when they uh, got in the bougie into the glottic inlet. And then what you're supposed to do is uh, maintain the laryngoscope insertion. Why? Well, A, you could see your tube pass, which is super important, but I think the real error is is if you take the laryngoscope out and you stop lifting, then the um, posterior structures collapse, you know, your tongue and et cetera, all collapse, and it becomes very difficult to place the tube. So you have to leave the laryngoscope in, and you should retain a view to actually see the tube pass into the cords. And so this error occurred when people were so excited they got the bougie in that they took out the laryngoscope, which doesn't happen infrequently, though it was the uh, least frequent error in this study. All right, so those are all the errors, and those are the clinical uh, attributes that I uh, link up to them. Well, what about future directions? Well, I'd love to see someone, and it's probably going to be Alexander Bracey as the lead, um, you know, for our resuscitationist writing group uh, that actually was the nidus for this study. Uh, he's probably going to validate this on hyperangulated blades. My guess is all of the errors will be identical. Uh, except you probably won't see the bougie ones because most people don't use bougies with hyperangulated, though our manipulable tip bougie will allow that to be used with hyperangulated. I'd love to see someone, it's probably not going to be me, um, track all of the intubations at a program for some period of time and then see what the incidence of these errors are over an entire um, you know, for instance, two years of intubations rather than what we did in the study. And I haven't mentioned all of the numbers. You could look at the paper for that. I don't think it's really the important part. It's just what you need to get published. Um, but we did it over 100 errors already, uh, over 100 videos already identified to have an error. So the incidence is very different. These are, if there is an error, what is the incidence of these errors versus what is the incidence overall? My guess is the incidence would be very low for all of these errors if you're in a excellent program. So um, if we took all of our intubations, the incidence obviously would be much lower. And then what we didn't do because we didn't know who was actually intubating because all we had is the videos themselves is see if the errors vary by the experience level of the intubator um, because that, that would also be super interesting. And let's see, what else can I tell you about this? Uh, we actually have videos for each error on the uh, show notes for this episode, mcrit.org slash 360. Uh, go check the paper out on the AGM site and let me know what you think. If there's any errors I missed that you actually uh, want to add to the mix, um, then that would be great. I'd love to hear it from you. So you could just put those uh, on the show notes or you know tweet me up on Twitter. And yeah, I think think that is oh one more thing yeah i'm gonna get uh alexander bracy and ryan barnacle to come on and we'll do a little explosion of this primer episode of this we'll talk about uh air, their you know nascent airway programs at their new places and uh, all the stuff to come along that so it'll be a fun discussion all right this has been scott weingart for the mcrip podcast saying well before i say goodbye i always mention uh, medicine coaching which is my physician coaching business uh, in which i take excellent performers and make them better. And I take people that are struggling with issues like burnout or um, just not really enjoying their job and try to get them back to the point of flourishing. If you're interested in that, come to mcrit.org slash coaching. That's mcrit.org slash coaching. And I'll be happy to talk to you with a free chemistry call and we could see if there's anything uh, where we could find and go forward. All right, Scott Weinger for the MCRIT Podcast saying bye-bye.